0: So let's turn our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 5, talking about doing life in God's name and in His nature. So I want to know, have you ever been healed? I'm not talking about, yeah, I was in a hospital for a week and I was healed. No, I'm talking about instantly, miraculously. Yes. Okay. God bless you. We had, we've had many healings in this church they have been awesome, uh, one in particular, one guy came up to me after a Bible study one night and goes, I have water warts on my feet and they're really bothering me. I can't walk right and uh, could you pray for me? Now, he had shoes and socks on, which is kind of abnormal here in Hawaii. But, uh, so I couldn't see. I just said, sure, I'll, I'll pray for you. And I uh, prayed, whatever, for healing. And I got home that night and the phone rang. And he goes, I'm healed, I'm healed. I go, wait, what what are you talking about? What are these water warts? And I say that fast three times. But uh, he goes, oh, the entire sole of both feet were covered with these water warts, like, you know, a half inch thick. And I got home, and after the prayer for healing, they just peeled right off, kind of like the the bottom layer of a pair of slippers just peeled right off. And I told Larry, I'm glad you didn't show it to me because I wouldn't have had faith to pray for that. You know, that just, wow, that's that's crazy that, that God does. But the thing is, if you've been healed from anything, from a tummy ache to cancer, what was your reaction? I mean, normally the reaction is, one of jubilation, like, God is so good. He, he heard my prayer. He answered my prayer. Did you ever want to kill the guy who caused the healing or who prayed for the healing? Because here in John 5, they're going, they want to kill Jesus for healing someone. So we're in John 5. I'm, uh, I'm reading from the New King James Bible. And we're beginning in verse 16. Remember the healing had just taken place and for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath and then later on in, uh, uh, in verse 18 we'll realize they really want to kill him because he's calling himself equal with God. So here's the deal. They didn't have an understanding of the Sabbath and maybe, maybe we don't either. The Sabbath we want to kill Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath. You go, well, that's kind of extreme. But here's the deal. They were convinced they were doing the right thing. They were convinced they could back it up with scriptures. I can prove killing this guy is the right thing to do. And they could quote from the Old Testament. When, you know, in Moses' time, when Moses gave the 613 commandments. And one of this guy, remember... On the Sabbath, he went out to collect firewood, which is a labor. It worked. And and so they they brought him to Moses, and Moses asked God, what do we do? He labored on the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to. And he was put to death. And and so here they're thinking, I know I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing this in God's name, and I can actually prove it uh, with Scriptures. And yet, think of some ungodly things that have been done in God's name. You ever studied the Inquisition with a church in Spain? Originally, this was like a thousand years ago it started. Uh, not quite that long, but it was a long time ago. And it lasted for over 200 years. In, at first, it was this idea, okay, we need to inquire to, to make sure these conversions are real and they're legit. So when a Muslim converted to Christianity, or when a Jew converted to Christianity, the Inquisition started by, hey, let's make sure this is legit and it's not just phony. But then it took on a life of its own. Then it became a a method of torture, and even killing people, Uh, it's estimated anywhere from tens of thousands to millions were killed in over 200 years, doing things in God's name. But that's not God's nature. So Jesus said, remember the guys that wanted to call down thunder and lightning and consume the Samaritans? They wanted to do this in God's name. They had a scripture from the Old Testament where somebody did that. Okay, let's do it. And Jesus, because they, were doing, they wanted to do things in his name, but not in his nature, he said, listen, boys, remember the sons of thunder? You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. I didn't come to kill people. I didn't come to destroy them. I came to save them. And so uh, here's the the, the misunderstanding of the Sabbath. You go, I want to kill Jesus because he did something good on the Sabbath. He was meeting needs on the Sabbath. It's a basic thing. Now, Jesus said, look, man was made for the Sabbath. I'm I'm sorry, Sabbath was made for man. Do you ever get that mixed up in front of a lot of people worldwide? Web. The Sabbath was made for man. So, this is what's going on. He doesn't say this. Okay, here's, here's the God of creation. I'm going I'm to make this box. Okay, I'm going to call it the Sabbath. And it's going to be super rigid, a lot of rules. It's going to make people miserable and cramp their style. And then let's call this the Sabbath, this little cube. And, and now I'm going to create man for this and just squeeze him into the Sabbath and make him miserable. He said, no, 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 that's not it. I'm going to create man in my image, God speaking, and he'll have this amazing capacity to love and to reason and to have a will. And now man will have a tendency to work too much, and so I'm going to create Sabbath for his own good so he will be forced to rest. So the whole idea is, okay, man is made in, uh, in, in the image of God. Let's have this Sabbath for his own good so he will rest. So it became something ugly uh, to these people. Now, we pick it up in verse 17. Uh, John chapter 5. But Jesus assured them, or I'm sorry, Jesus answered them, my father's been working until now, until now, and, and I've been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because, now, get this. He not only broke the Sabbath, in their opinion, he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Did you get that out of that verse? We'll, we'll see why they thought that, and, and we missed that. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, maybe your translation says, verily verily it's basically pay attention to this i say to you the son can do nothing of himself for whatever he um, whatever he sees the father do uh, i'm sorry I'm, i'm skipping verses most assuredly i say to you the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do for whatever he does the father does The son also does, notice this, in like manner. So that, to me, in his name and in his nature, doing the right thing the the right way. So in in like manner. Verse 20, for the father loves the son, and he shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So here's, he's going, "This, this is... It's going to uh, get even better from here. So here's understanding with Jesus who, who he is. He says, I can do nothing on my own. Do you know anybody in the Bible who tried to do something on his own? A guy named Moses. Remember, Moses said, okay, I, I believe I'm called of God to deliver the Jews, maybe two million Jews, out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. And so without asking God, without seeing what God wants him to do, he, goes, he kills one Egyptian and runs for his life for the next 40 years. When he asks God what to do, the entire Egyptian army drowns and Moses delivers the entire uh, nation of the Jews. So here's Jesus saying, I can do nothing on my own. This is what commentators said about this. Basically, Jesus is saying, I healed this man on the Sabbath because I see God, I see my father healing people on the Sabbath. I met his need on the Sabbath because I see my father meeting needs on the Sabbath. So the question is, aren't you glad that God meets needs regardless of what day it is? He's saying, guys, you don't understand the nature of God. The nature of God is to meet needs. The nature of God is to draw people close to himself. So, aren't you glad? Well, here's Jesus meets needs too. And it's not six days a week. It's every day of the week. So, in Matthew 11, he says, come unto me. The invite goes out to everyone. Like James says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. What a a promise. You know, for some of you, you had a victorious week. You come in here and just feeling high, feeling good in the Lord. Others, you got beat up all week long. Let's not fool ourselves. But right now, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. And you need to hear, whether you're on mountain top or valley low, Jesus saying, come unto me. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's, in a, it's every morning, come unto me. And he said, learn of me. Did you ever hear this part? I'm lowly, I'm meek, I'm humble. Is that the Jesus you're following? And he said this, take my yoke upon, meaning don't go do your own thing. Be yoked together with me and I love the promise. You will find rest for your souls. You'll find something that no drug can give you, no comfort mattress, no pills, no drink, no bank account, rest for your souls. So Jesus is into meeting needs as well, he's, he's very practical. Now, when you say, when, when it reads here that, well, he was making himself equal with God, you might read that and go, not in my thing. He said, well, God's been, the Father's been working, now I've been working. And you know, that, I don't see the connection where that, or he's calling himself God. That's where this study comes in, inductive Bible study. And, and I wanna give a very brief uh, overview of this. It's something I, I teach in India a lot. Some of you might know it as the OIA, but inductive study, it's, it's letting the Bible speak for itself. It's asking the right questions. So O stands for observation. That's the first thing you do. I is for interpretation, and an A is for application. I think that a lot of people miss today. You know, it's, it's very, I was talking with Pastor Danny before church. And it's very possible to get convicted of my sin and leave church thinking, well, at least I'm convicted. No, 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 without application of doing something with it, it does nothing for me. So basically, if you want to really simplify this, like I did in India because these guys are going back to the village and let's leave them with something. So observation simply asks, what does it say? So when I'm ready to prepare teaching, like for this, the first thing I do by a rule is type out that passage. Word for word, comma for comma, and it helps me to see exactly what it says as well as what it does not say. So observation. Anybody can do this. Just write down the verse. Capitals, small, everything. What does it say? Interpretation answers the question, what did it mean to them, the original audience, 2,000 years ago for, for this morning, for, J, for Jesus, or for Moses, it's even more than that. So, you know, when he's speaking to this, this group, what did it mean to them? And then application is so, what does it mean to me? What do I have to do about this verse? See, in, in their case, when Jesus said, What did it say? My father's working, now I'm working. What did it mean to them? He's calling himself God. Without that, I, I missed the whole point. And then you go, Well, what does that mean to me? I need to treat him as God, as Lord, even as master. Now, here's the deal. See that little teardrop? If I miss the interpretation, then I miss the application. Case in point, uh, maybe you're familiar with King Jehoshaphat. Great king, great king. Now, we're going back to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 20. He's a great king, but he wakes up one day, got all kind of enemies, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and he's going, man, we are toast. He called the entire nation of Israel to a fast. You know what he's saying? We have an enemy who's not going away and needs to be defeated, and I'm not sure what to do. So he calls a fast, and he does this unreal prayer Where in the beginning of the prayer he's acknowledging who God is, we know who we're talking to. You're the Creator. You know what, whatever words, and they just we know who we're talking to. And then from there he goes into their history with God, so he's rehearsing their history, like God, this is what you've done in our past. Then he goes into their God's promises. You know when this temple that King Solomon built was dedicated. The promise was given that as we pray from here, you're going to hear our prayer. So it's so wise. I know who I'm talking to. I know our history, and I'm claiming your promises. And then he gives the problem. Look at what's going on. We had mercy to these nations. And what what are they doing in return? They're going to kill us. And then the king of the land made that famous confession. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What if your president woke up this morning and said, you know, the Russians are attacking and the Chinese are attacking, and frankly, I have no clue. That's what the king said. But my eyes are on God. That's what the king did. And at this point, as they're all praying and fasting and seeking God, one prophet gets up. Now, the New Testament says those who prophesy, you have to get to prophesy, prophesy according to your faith. How much faith did this prophet have? Yeah, believe his name. He goes, you know what? Don't worry about this. God's got, I'm doing it in our vernacular. God's got this. The battle's not yours, it's the Lord's. And he wants you to go out in song and you just meet your enemy singing and God will take care of business. Next day, out of obedience, they go out there, they start singing, God causes confusion on the enemies and they end up killing each other. So, what does it say? Battle's the Lord, don't worry about it. What does it mean to them? They got a battle plan. They got a battle plan. That's what it means. Your battle plan, eyes on God, go out there and sing. Some people skip the interpretation, and books have been written, written on this. They go, you know what it says. Go out and sing, and you, your battles will be... And so they go straight to application, missing the whole point, point. and they say, see, next time you have a trial, just sing. Actually, next time you have a trial, if you want to learn from this... You pray, you seek God, maybe even fast, and wait for his battle plan. That's the lesson there. And the lesson, it could be song. It could be resist the enemy and he will flee from you. You know, it could be withstand him, as we're told. But they received the battle plan, we need to as well. So what does it say? What did it mean to them? Then what does it mean to us? Get God's battle plan. Now, here's about application. Remember I said that some people come to church, they get convicted, and they they feel good that they were convicted, that have no intention of doing anything, no follow-through. So in Ephesians 5, or I'm sorry, in Hebrews 5 at the end of the chapter, for by now, for though by now you ought to be teachers, you should be discipling others. In just the basics, you should to tell them the importance of prayer, the importance of the promises of God, the importance of the Word of God, the importance of fellowship. He said, you should be teaching others. But instead, you need someone to teach you. It's called a rebuke. These are people who didn't apply what God was telling them to do. You've come to need milk and not solid food. So he's talking to older Christians who still need to nurse with mama. Said, so I look out and I see people who have not grown spiritually. Oh, your business has grown. You know, this, your house has improved. But spiritually, I just see nursing babies with mama. And then he goes, you should be eating filet mignon by now. You should be feasting on salmon, solid food. But you're settling for the milk. And solid food is for those who, by reason of use, that would be application, have their senses trained, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He's saying, look, it's more than what does it say. It's more than what did it mean to them. It's take this home and apply it to your life. Or we'll just be babes the rest of our lives. Just uh, the, the, the milk is good enough. He so said, no, the way to grow is to apply what God is speaking. So Jesus said, in like manner. Now when I read that, I'm thinking doing things in the name of God, just the same way that God does it, or the nature of God. Doing the right thing the right way. So what if we do this? What if God holds grudges the way we do What if it were flipped? Instead of we're like mannered to him, what if he's like mannered to us? And what if we're just known for holding grudges? You know the whole reason in Leviticus that we're we're told to love one another? It says, so you won't hold a grudge. Or or this one, what if we flip it and say, well, what if God forgave people like we do? You ever hear that, say, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget about it. (laughs) Great. So every time you see me, it's regurgitated. Just, or what if God does this? What if He restored people the way we do? Have you ever been restored? I read this in devotions this past week. Uh, I'm on my second time through Psalms and Proverbs and Psalm 23. He restores my soul. He, res- he does it every day. Because so so often we wake up with a hangover, a spiritual hangover from what we did or didn't do the day before. And we, oh man, and and then he just restores. My cup runs over, David goes on to say. Now a a good friend of mine, Pastor Waxer, I think it was his mother-in-law, who would always, when you say, hey, how are you doing? She goes, like sipping from the saucer meaning her cup had run over, her teacup into the saucer and she's drinking, enjoying the overflow. See, what if God restores the way we do? Where we tolerate somebody but just sit on the other side of the room. Where, where we go, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll say hi. No, restored is a wonderful word. God restores us all the time. It's present tense. So now it's Understanding who you'll face. This is the last section of this scripture, of this series, of today's sermon. So we pick it up in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one. Is that news to you? The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Wait a minute. The Son, like Jesus, the one that so many people have rejected their whole life? The Son, Jesus, that so many have used His name in vain their whole life? You you die and you're going to face Jesus. Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son so that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So that's to answer those who go, oh yeah, I'm all about God. I don't know where Jesus fits into the whole equation. wait a minute. (laughs) You don't honor Jesus, you don't honor the Father. He sent Jesus. He gave his only Son. And so this is who we're gonna face in judgment. Now, I'm glad I'm not the judge, so are you. I'm glad you're not the judge. You don't know my heart. I don't know your I don't know all the details. I don't know what you did or didn't do. I sure don't know the motives of your heart. And that's why I'm not supposed to judge. That's the motives. I, we don't know. So how, how can you make a fair judgment if you don't know all the details? God does. You ever see this verse Hebrews chapter 4? There's no creature so that includes me and you. There's no creature from his sight, or hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him of, to whom we must give an account. So here's Jesus as a judge, but he knows all the what's and what's nots. He He knows the motives, and we must give an account to him. Now, did you ever notice that At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right, the famous conclusion, Jesus referred to the same judgment. He said, many will say to me on that, meaning he's the judge. He's on the judgment seat. We're reporting to him. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name, Lord, Lord, Didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we um, prophesy in your name? And he doesn't deny any of it. Yeah, that's what you did. But if we used a little bit of artistic freedom, you did a lot of things in my name, but not in my nature. You'd never let go of your sin. You didn't even wrestle with it. You just continued thinking, "Oh, cuz I'm doing so many good things, it doesn't matter." And his answer, "Get out of here." I mean, that's what depart from me means. It's a broken-hearted savior who said, "I've reached out to you. I've tried to convict you. I've tried to draw you near. You did a lot of good things, but You didn't do it by nature. You who practiced sin. Rationalizing, but I'm doing so much good stuff, God's going to wink at it. He says, No, depart from me. Here's the problem we want to do things in His name and in His nature, right? So it's doing what God would do the way God would do it. Here's our problem. We are, by nature, children of wrath. This doesn't come easy. (laughs) By by nature, I'm selfish. I'm I'm given more to wrath than to forgiveness. But Ephesians 2 goes on. You were dead in sin. We were dead in sins. I, I don't expect a dead man to do very much. Dead spiritually, don't expect it. He said, but, but then God, who is rich in mercy, I love this, because of his great love, that's, why, that's what motivates God, because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we we're in our trespasses and sins, he reached out to us. Romans 5, even when we we're his enemies, Christ died for us. See, the only way I can do this stuff, in the name and the nature of God, because my nature is, by nature I was a child of wrath, I need to have His Word written on my heart, giving me that new nature, the nature of God, if you will. So he said, by grace you've been saved. How do I get all this? It's a work of grace. It's a work that God wants to do in our lives. It's a work that takes cooperation. Like Peter said, applying all diligence. Like I'm not supposed to be slothful in this area or lax of days ago. Applying all diligence. Add to your faith these things. So let's, let's put it this way. Here's our, our way of application. And we're going to close and worship after this. It's hot. And we've got another class after this. So application what if we did life in his name and in his nature what would this church look like how about this if we did things in like manner oh I'm watching God to see what he wants me to do and how he wants me to do it how about this I have no idea why this verse was on my heart all week it just seems so random For somebody here, it's a direct hit. Philippians, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Did you ever read that? Gentleness, I want my proud as a peacock known to everybody. I want my defiance. I want my, you know, whatever. If you want to do things God's way, In God's name, people need to know you're gentle, meek, non-rebellious, approachable, receivable. If it's for you, just claim it, okay? God wants me to let everybody know my gentleness, that he took this child of wrath and turned me into a follower of Jesus and known for my gentleness. How about, how do you receive from others? You know, a couple of weeks ago when we were sharing what communion means to God, and how he wants us to operate in faith, in unity, in love, I shared about King Asa. And it's been bugging me ever since. King Asa was a great king. Remember, right away, his big trial, a million Ethiopians were coming to kill him. And he pleads with God, and God gives him victory. And for 25 years, he has no more wars. 25 years of rehearsing his previous testimony. Now, if that's all you did, (laughs) King, I heard your testimony like 15 years ago. It's kind of gotten bigger since then. You know, like the fish grows every time you talk about how the fish you caught. But here it goes, hey, king, that is great. You had a victory 25 years ago, and God's given you peace. But now you got another problem. Now it's a much smaller army. It's just the, the kingdom of Israel from the north. And they should be nothing to you. But instead of repeating and going, crying out to God, God, we, we, we need your help. He goes, no, we need the, the, the Syrians' help. Remember, that's when the prophet Hanani comes up. Holds the king accountable. Rebukes him. And that famous verse, you know the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support those whose heart is completely his. See, that's a verse for you this morning. If you've surrendered to Christ, God's here this morning just to to strongly support you. And, And King, 25 years ago, God showed how strongly he supported you. But now, the verse goes on, you've done foolishly. What are you thinking? Why don't you lean on the same God that you did in your youth? Did King Asa receive from the prophet? Do you know what he did? This is what's been bugging me that I... I didn't see it. The king goes, throw him in prison. Lock him up, throw away the king. We don't know if he died there, the prophet. And the the application is, you know, when you try to keep me accountable, I want to be accountable. I want to be approachable. And I at least want to bring it to God in prayer, what you're saying. But I don't want to be King Asa. Look, I'm not a king. I don't have a prison. But you and I have a way of locking people out and saying, I'm not going to receive from you. I'm going to silence you for the rest of my life. I don't have a prison, but I have a mechanism of locking people out, silencing them, and so do you. Do you receive? Do you receive? The way God... I mean, in the, the name of God and in the nature of God. And our last one, how about forgiveness? We were in First John uh, in our Ohana group. Some troubling verses there, you know. If you sin, you don't know God, basically. <laughs> and then Pete was leading our group and he goes, hey, I'm a sinner. Get away. I've read about people like you, you know. Who hasn't sinned? And and as we discussed it and and tried the hard way, okay, we know it's practicing sin. We know it's those who are unconvictable, won't do anything about it. But I said, remember, we're talking about the Savior who instructed us to forgive 70 times 7. And we need to forgive people that way but we also need to receive his forgiveness. In Colossians 3, it says, even as Christ, it's a great one for marriages especially, even as Christ has forgiven you, it doesn't stop there. Even so, must you forgive one another in the name and in the nature of God. Hey, listen. Maybe you've never received his forgiveness because that's where it starts. First, we experience it and then we pass it on. It's simply a prayer away. Lord, I'm convinced of who you are. I'm convinced of the history of how you've been drawing me to you. I know of your promises of forgiveness. I now call on you. Please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender. And at that point you begin this relationship with Jesus Christ.